Welcome. Thank you for listening. We're currently working our way through the book of Joshua, celebrating the God who keeps every promise he has ever made. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to meet you. You can connect with us more through our website, harvestcommunity.org. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side according to all he had sworn to their fathers. None of their enemies were able to stand against them, for the Lord handed over all their enemies to them. None of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. All our lives, he's been faithful. All of our lives, he's been so, so good. And as we come to the text of scripture this morning, we're just going to continue down the same path that the worship team carved out for us this morning. Because none of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. In a world where promises are broken regularly, in a world where trust is shattered between us on an all-too-frequent basis, not one word of the Lord fails. At a time when our trust in one another is not only challenged but sometimes ruined, at a time when cultural expressed trust in organizations and institutions is at an all-time low, God comes to us with the needed message this morning that he can be trusted. This beautiful passage, this set of three verses, is the shortest text I've been able to preach in the book of Joshua so far I can't promise that it will be reflected in a shorter sermon overall, but I I think so. I think so. These three verses are absolutely beautiful as a mountaintop experience for everything we've heard so far in Joshua chapter 1 through 21, after all the names, after all the places, after all of the battles we reach these three verses that the Lord gave Israel all the land he swore to give their ancestors and they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies were able to stand against them for the Lord handed over all their enemies to them. None of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. This is our God. We fail one another, but God never fails us. This comes to us, this word this morning that God can be trusted comes to us 
as uh, cultural trust, like our combined trust either in one another or in institutions is actually at an all-time low. Reading the results of uh, a 2023 Gallup poll by the end of the year uh, revealed this. Our collective trust in small businesses rates the highest at 65%. 65% of us have a trust in small businesses. If you're a small business owner in this room, congratulations. On a serious note, I would lean into that. Who am I to advise you? But I would lean into that statistic because by far you are ahead of the pack. At the bottom of that is the U.S. Congress at 8%. I was surprised. I thought it would be at 7. But it's at 8. It's at 8. It came in at 8. Good final quarter of the year in 2023, maybe. Um, Large business and news organizations both sit together at 14%. In the middle of the pack, what was interesting to me, obviously, in what God has called me to do, is that as a local church, we're kind of right there with the medical profession sitting at 32 and 34%. And the meta-narrative, the larger story being told here is that expressed trust in institutions is just rapidly declining. And we sense that in our conversations with one another and about larger things. I was just at the gym last night and that was the conversation in my ear was a group of guys talking um, about things in our country that would not surprise you that they're talking about. And it's just at a fever pitch and will only speed up through this year. But this morning, we don't gather around the results merely of a Gallup poll, and I'm not here to just present a summation of CNN or Fox News to you this morning. I'm here with Joshua chapter 21, verses 43, 44, and 45, telling you on the authority of God's word that in 2024, while trust is at an all-time low, God comes at us in the pages of this scripture declaring that he has kept every promise he has ever made and he has never changed. And God is inviting you to trust him today. That's what's going on in the passage of this scripture. Not only is God like a human being who in their latter years could look back, and this would never happen. It's never happened of any mere human being that that they have made promises their whole life, made commitments, and they've never broken one, not even in a shadowy way, like not even come close to dropping the ball, but have fulfilled every commitment. But now they're in their latter years. Maybe they're, maybe they're waning in their strength. Maybe they're waning in their efficacy in their leadership or relationships. I'm coming to you this morning with the God of the universe, our Father, expressed in his Son, Jesus Christ, who is God, and the promised Holy Spirit, the three in one, before time began, have never changed to this point and never will change. And since the beginning of time, God has been committing himself to people, which is just mind-blowing that the God of the universe would come down and enter a covenant relationship with people. He's made promises and he's never broken one of them. Every word kept, no promise 
No word of the Lord has ever failed. This is our God. As the writer Sandra McCracken uh, wrote in her song, and we use this here from time to time, we will feast in the house of Zion. She writes, every vow we've broken and betrayed, but you are the faithful one. This is the juxtaposition we gather around this morning, that while we are faithless, yet he remains faithful, that while we disappoint one another and worse, injure and hurt, he never does. This is our God. And in this short passage of three verses, he's going to express his faithfulness to us in two ways. He's going to prove that to Israel in verses 43 and 44, he shows his covenant-keeping, uh, promise-keeping faithfulness with a perfect record in two ways. One, by keeping his promises in regard to land, land, which has been a huge factor in the book of Joshua. And second, by defeating enemies and providing rest. So these are the two points of this, yes, shorter sermon than usual. Promised land and promised rest. In verse 43, God first declares his promise-keeping nature through giving his people, quote, all the land, not some land, not some of the land. Very specific, verse 43, he gives his people all the land that he promised. And the background goes further than the book of Joshua, maybe further than you think. Back to the first chapter, uh, the first book, rather, of the Bible, Genesis chapter 13. God speaking to Abraham says this, For I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. God comes to Abraham in his latter years in his old age and made promises to him that he would give all the land that you see. This is in chapter one of the Bible, Genesis. At the onset of Joshua in chapter one, verses two through four, we get this background. The Lord speaking to Joshua says this, Moses, my servant is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. God's promises marched forward in each generation. What I'm telling you this morning is that based on Joshua chapter 21, verse 43, that from, chap from book one of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible, God has a perfect record. God has no losses against him. He makes promises to people and he keeps those promises. And so here after many battles and, 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 and this word didn't come to God's people in a vacuum, in some sort of cushy place, in some sort of ideal circumstances. No, it came through the crossing of the Red Sea and it led them through the wilderness and it came to the west, the eastern edge of the Jordan River and it parted and God had his people part that and they came into a land full of enemies, of, of Anakim and of giants, of, of offspring that they were, they had been afraid of for generations and God was faithful in every place their foot touched. And he gave them all the land that he promised to Abraham 
In Genesis chapter 13, verse 15, this is our God. And this God is shouting to you this morning from the pages of this text saying, you can trust me. Not in the way the institutions that the the, the Gallup poll were reporting on. Like, not in brands in business saying you can trust us. Not in doctors giving diagnosis saying because uh, of my qualifications, you can trust me. And, and, And surprisingly, I don't feel too bad about the lowered trust for the local church Um, because uh, myself and my own imperfect leadership and and in leadership throughout the country and world and generations, uh, what they have done to the reputation of Christ in the church and really signaling through the celebrity culture that's invaded the church where, as, as one pastor noted, the charisma is platformed ahead of the character. And so there's this disappointment when people come to you and millions of people through podcasts and YouTube clips essentially saying, trust me. I'm not real nervous about that statistic that only 32, 34% are trusting the local church because I'm coming to you this morning with a completely different message. I'm not saying trust the local church. And I'm not saying trust me. I'm not even saying trust the elders of the church. I'm coming to you saying, trust the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Israel. The father who sent his son in whom every promise is yes. That's who I'm asking you to trust this morning. And he's telling you to trust him. And I would ask you to think, to consider this question, like, what has God promised me? At this point in the sermon, I would, I, I would ask you to think about what, what has God promised you? I mean, maybe it's land. I know that's not for me. I called my wife over to my reading chair the other night, and she looked at my iPad, and she's like, what, what do you want to show me? And I'm like, look at this property outside of Jackson Hole in Wyoming. This is insane. It's one of my favorite places on earth are the Tetons in Wyoming. I'm like, look at this property for sale. It was only like $8 million. <laughs> but it had trout stream and cabins. Amazing. I don't, that's not what God's told me. And this isn't some sort of like health and wealth sermon that like God has stuff for you. You just need to claim it. God speaks through his word. What has he promised you? I didn't include this in in my sermon prep, so let me just give you a few things I wrote down in my journal when I was back there with the worship team this morning. I know that God has promised me through Jesus when he was here. It's recorded in the four gospels that when he left, he would send his Holy Spirit to be a helper and a comfort. And so when I say I need help, I need comfort, I know that God has promised me his Holy Spirit, and that is something on the authority of his word that he'll keep. I know 
that Jesus spoke with his own mouth recorded by eyewitnesses that he stands at the door and knocks and that anyone who opens the door, he will come in and have fellowship with them, that there's an invitation from Jesus to have communion with you in your own heart. I know based on the authority of the Holy Spirit moving human authors, in this case, the Apostle Paul, that if any man, woman, or child is in Christ by faith, they are a new creation, that all the old things have passed away and all things have become new. And because of this, there is not one accusation or moment of shaming from past failures that can be held against me or you in the present before God because of Jesus Christ seated right now at the right hand of the Father we are seen as a new creation and things will only get better. I know that I don't have to be anxious for anything. As a wise person told me this week, um, Mark Twain uh, said that like I've suffered many things in my life already, most of which never happened. And that spoke to me. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer, letting your requests be made known to God. Here's the promise, the peace of God that passes all understanding, like in a way that you can't even imagine. In the deepest loss, I've watched God's people have miraculous peace that blows my mind. In, in the deepest, deepest depths of despair and hurt and betrayal, betrayal, I've watched people gain healing through the comfort and helping ministry of the Holy Spirit that is a peace that passes all like logical understanding because it's not man-made, it's miraculously given by God. And this is a promise to you. I've been promised that as I fail, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And these are only just a handful of promises that I know are in play right now as I sit here. And there is so much more there to mine out of scripture. And there is so much more to come. And I'm telling you based on the authority of Joshua 21 verse 43, that our God is the one who keeps every promise. Our second and final point, he showed his promise keeping nature through giving promised rest. And this is in verse 44. In verse 44, the Lord gave them rest on every side, which I, I don't know how that hits you, but when I read that, it just felt like cool water in the desert. I don't know where you're at in life, but when I read that verse, I was like, oh, that sounds good. Rest on every side, according to all that he had sworn their ancestors. How though? None of their enemies were able to stand against them for the Lord handed over all their enemies to them. If you're someone who loves to study scripture, these three verses have a structure. And the way these three verses are structured is that in the center of the three verses are two repeated phrases about enemies. And this signals us to say, hey, I think it's the main point of the whole text. And the main point of this whole text is that God defeated all of Israel's enemies so that they could have 
rest. And here it is in verse 44, they had rest on every side. None of their enemies were able to stand against them. This is in fulfillment of what God told Joshua in chapter one, verse five, right at the very beginning, when he raised him up to be the successor of Moses, God said this in verse five, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Rest, according to Joshua chapter 21, is the result of enemies defeated. At the center of these three verses are these two repeated lines celebrating the defeat of the enemy and the subsequent rest that the people of God have, not just on a few sides, but on all sides. Dale Davis is a scholar who has really helped me, uh, who has helped the book of Joshua really open up to my understanding And he says this regarding the enemies in verse 44. Only when we see the barriers Yahweh smashes in order to fulfill his word, only when we see his promise trampling all apparent obstacles put in its way, only then will we appreciate how tenacious our God's fidelity is to his promise and his people. What is is Dale Davis talking about? This trampling all apparent obstacles this tenacious um, approach that God has to keeping his promises. All I have to do, and I don't have specific verses selected, I'm turning back about four pages in my paper Bible here. And in chapter 11, I can go to a random spot and I can see verse 16. So Joshua took all this land, the hill country, all the Negev, all the land of Goshen. I can look down at 21. At that time, Joshua proceeded to exterminate the Anakim, the giants that turned back the 10 spies. Um, Joshua and Caleb said, we think we can defeat them. Verse 21, uh, they're done. Victory was had. I, I turned to chapter 12, a page over, and I see a list. The Israelites struck down the following kings of the land, and I just... Verse 9, the king of Jericho, Ai, which is next to Bethel, Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish. Exhaustive list of every enemy in every place that God was fighting for his people going ahead of them, winning all of these battles. I love how Davis uses this phrase, only then will we appreciate how tenacious our God's fidelity is. How tenacious. I would talk about it in terms of relentless or the tenacity of God's fidelity, his faithfulness in pursuing his people and keeping his promise. When I think of that tenacious, I think of application in the sports world. I mean, one of my favorite players, I think the reason, yes, I love Giannis, but for the Bucks, Bobby Portis is just so scrappy and blue collar. That's why the city loves him so much, I think. And so when I, when I see Bobby Portis pulling down rebounds and going after a live balls, I, I think of that word tenacity. When you see A.J. Dillon breaking tackles with like a goal line in sight, you see that idea of tenacity. And those are light hearted in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things in the sports world. To add some gravity to this, you think of the beaches of Normandy and U.S. troops landing and navigating their way forward against a world power that was oppressing people. Tenacity, going through obstacles with a goal in mind and not stopping. 
This is the relentless faithfulness of God pursuing his people. This is the tenacity which God pursues you. We're just saying, all my life you have been faithful. I get choked up when I sing that because I can, I don't know about you, I recommend this if you don't do it, but kind of like how Joshua goes through specific places, I just picture, I remember that place. And I remember that place. And I remember that. And you were there and you were there and you were there in those places being faithful to me. God is shouting at you from the pages of scripture this morning. You can trust me. God comes to you this morning from Joshua 21, 43 through 45, declaring that all your enemies have been defeated, that you can come out and you don't have to be afraid. Will you take a step forward into that light of victory this morning? God is saying, you can trust me. Will you this morning trust him? I knew I had work to do in prayer this morning before this sermon, but I didn't know what. And so I went up to my office while the worship team was finishing. And as I was praying through this sermon, I'm like, what is missing? What are you wanting me to look at again or say? And God convicted my heart in such a specific way. He said, you're, you're taking all these truths. And, and like I explained last week, you're trying to understand how it applies to these people. And God asked me, will you start believing these things? This is who I am in scripture. Will you take a step forward and will you trust me? I have kept every promise I have ever made. Why would I stop now? Who are our enemies? If we're going to apply this point, who are our enemies? I think just as we considered what are God's promises, I think we need to consider who are our enemies. Well, we have harvest many enemies. We have many enemies. And I'm telling you this morning that none of them are people. When I go to scripture, I do understand that we have enemies. I do not see that they're people. I see this morning that we struggle with sin and the brokenness of this world. I, I know that we have enemies that assail our souls through addiction and temptation and fear and shame and guilt and separation from God and separation from one another. I see these as the real enemies of a person. I do understand that afflicted by these real enemies, we often end up fighting one another, masquerading as one another's enemies. But I do not see this morning an application that relates to people being our enemies. People are not our enemies. In fact, let me give you just one. Paul, writing the church at Corinth, declares this. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, he says, the last enemy to be abolished, the final enemy, right? Is death. 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to celebrate the final defeat 
of this final enemy, death, through Jesus Christ, the one who is raised from the dead and who will raise those who have already died in faith, in Christ, in a relationship with God, he will raise those from the dead forever. The one who is raised from the dead forever will raise us up from the dead forever. Christ is coming again. He is our living hope who is at the right hand of God the Father this morning. And because he lives in the presence of God forever, so will all those who have died in a relationship with God through Christ live forever in the presence of God. Our final enemy, death, is defeated. Death has no hold on us. Paul writes, death is not the end because just as in Adam all died through sin entering the world and every subsequent generation sins, so in Christ, all will be made alive. This smashes fear and anxiety and it inflates Christ-centered confidence, our boast in the Lord of life. Paul concludes the 15th chapter of his letter with this bold declaration. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ because of this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. All your enemies have been defeated in Christ and those that you still see are on the run because there is more to come. And because of this, my brothers and sisters together, together, he's not saying Caleb, he's not saying Eric, Sheena, Tom, be steadfast. He's saying, my dear brothers and sisters, the church, be steadfast, immovable, always moving forward. I was on a call a few weeks ago um, with Jamie, who led worship here at our church and performed for us, the Scottish singer-songwriter and another writer from Scotland. And we were on a Zoom call together. And Lorna said, in light of this fact, that for the global church, this is not... And you got to know Lorna to hear her, her, hear her accent here. She said, this is not a time for hemming and hawing. She said, the night is far spent and it is time to get after God's work. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Your work, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The heart of God this morning revealed in Joshua 21, 44 is for you and for you to have rest. This is why the author of Hebrews writing to a young Christian congregation says this in verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, Hebrews chapter four, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest yet remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Because of this, we have 
We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's hold fast, be steadfast, hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Because of this, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus stands at the door and knocks and he's inviting you to come in. If you will open the door, he will come in and give you rest on all sides. Where are you? He stands at the door and knocks. Jesus has promised rest. Will you come in and rest? In conclusion, verse 45 summarizes all of this. None of the good promises the Lord has made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. Harvest, can I just take the emphasized words in all three verses and put them together? Look at this. All, nothing, everything, not one, every one speaks to the totality, the all-encompassing perfection of God's relentless faithfulness. Paul, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, said, verse 19 of chapter 1, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among of you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I did not become yes and no. On the contrary, in him, Jesus Christ, it is always yes. For every one of God's promises is yes in Jesus Christ. Because of this, therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. What, I'm going to skip the quote. What is this saying? As the worship team prepares to come forward, this is very clear. Truth about God precedes worship of God, okay? Always in scripture. Truth about God precedes worship about God. All of God's promises are completely fulfilled in our yes in Jesus Christ. We have everything we need. What do we do with it? Trust him. Rest. Stop fighting each other. You're not each other's enemies. I had a professor in seminary who wrote this in one of his books. He said, there is nothing that two people submitted to the Lord cannot work through. There is nothing. I'm going to use Tom here. We're good friends. If Tom and I have an issue, if Tom is willing to submit to the Lord, if Caleb is willing to submit to the Lord, there's nothing we can't work through. Nothing. Stop fighting one another. Our real enemies are not people. Let's trust him. Let's rest because of him. Let's stand and worship him because of his faithfulness to us. Would you stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you hear our voices as we sing to you? God, we choose to step out and trust this morning that you are good every promise kept. And would you hear our voices this morning as we say thank you and as we go deeper in our trust of you. In Jesus' name, amen.